when somebody is motivated, that's when change really happens. And when we get frustrated with ourselves for not moving towards a goal or for not changing, then it's time to back up and look at motivation and look at those ingredients and make sure that they're all there. You're listening to CWC Talks, a podcast from the University of Florida Counseling and Wellness Center. In each episode, we discuss mental health topics related to the experience of being a student and share the struggles and joys of taking care of your mental health while in college. Before we get started, just a few notes on today's content. The views expressed here only reflect our opinions and don't represent the CWC or the University of Florida or the mental health professions as a whole. Additionally, some content may be sensitive for students who have experienced trauma. Please reach out if you need additional support. In this episode, Dr. Sarah Nash and Judah Cordovano, clinical case manager at the CWC, discuss motivation. Welcome, Judah. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So I wanted us to talk today about motivation because I know that is a topic near and dear to so many of the students on our campus. Students who come in for counseling frequently indicate that they are struggling with motivation in their lives. Um, Are there certain areas that students seem to struggle with motivation more than others? I... Something that I hear commonly with students is a struggle with motivation and it gets um, confused with achieving goals. What I often notice the conversation becomes is a conversation about those goals and how those goals uh, came about and how students develop those goals. So when we think about motivation and we think about goals, they're not quite the same thing. And I think it's important to distinguish between the two. So maybe that would be a good place to start. Like what's motivation and what's a goal? A goal is something concrete. It's something uh, finite and definable. I'll often hear students talk about how they're struggling to achieve some task, whatever that goal is, that that finite endpoint. Motivation is um, something intangible, something more abstract. It's it's internal. Um, It's that energy, for lack of a better word, that propels us toward something. And so when our goals aren't in line with our motivation, that's where we, we struggle. That's helpful for me. So a goal is a goal is like a concrete outcome that I'm trying to achieve. And motivation is energy that I feel like a, 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 a drive that I experience mm-hmm. to work towards that goal. Yes. It's kind of like fuel. Fuel. Okay. When, when students come in and say, I'm not motivated, which means I'm not feeling that energy. I'm not experiencing that energy that I'm low on fuel. Where do you start? Like, because you're you're saying, well, the fuel is related to the goal in some way, Mm -hmm. right? So how do you start kind of unpacking that with someone? If you just Google, you know, goal setting, there are all these mnemonics and acronyms about how to achieve goals. There seems to be an understanding, you know, in the public or among lay people that it's, there's some, it's formulaic. Goal, goal achievement is formulaic, that if you do X, Y, and Z, then you will arrive at your goal. What I found is more useful personally and professionally is backing up and examining your motivation to achieve that goal. So I might hear a student say, um, 
I'm really doing poorly. I'm, you know, in engineering and I just can't seem to get myself to go to class. Um, I don't wake up in time. And as we talk, a lot of times what, what ends up coming out or part of what comes out is that student was maybe never motivated to be in engineering or that student was never motivated to be in this particular branch of engineering, something along those lines. So the motivation isn't there. So the goal is really you're, you're climbing uphill essentially with very little fuel. What happens when you uh, reflect that back to someone, let's use the engineering student who never really wanted to be an engineer. What kinds of things might emerge from that conversation? A lot of times what emerges is fear. This goal came about from a place, especially for college students and especially undergrads, but this is true, I mean, throughout our 20s, we're learning how to be adults. And so we're learning how to differentiate from our families of origin, the people who took care of us. And our goals are set we set those goals as we're going through that transition. And so we can get confused between what we want and what other people want or what we want as individuals versus what we, what society expects of us. Um, so a lot of times as we unpack goals, what we end up examining is motivation. And then what we end up examining is feelings and what feelings are behind how that person arrived at that goal. It, it, as I said, it's often fear, fear of what if I don't pursue engineering and my parents expect me to. My parents expect me to be in this uh, career that has prestige behind it or a certain you know, salary. And maybe what that student really wants is to be a fiction writer, but that's not okay in their family. So um, again, there's that fear of what happens if I displease my parents? What happens? I'm a third year student. What happens if I decide to change my major now? Um, so a lot of what ifs. One of the things that I struggle with in these conversations with students is the costs, at least how students perceive the costs of changing their goal are so high like the the disappointment or um like i've already sunk so much time and effort and energy into into this goal and sure i've run out of steam early but but i still want that i want to get there i don't mm -hmm. necessarily even want what i get when i get there but i want mm -hmm. to get there mm -hmm. um and i i feel like i struggle because I think sometimes students come to counseling and they want me as the counselor to give them that energy back to reach that goal. And I don't, I don't have that to offer. Like we can explore all these other things. We can explore the why, right? Mm -hmm. Understand the why and the how you got here and what led to this. But counselors don't have that magic energy that, mm -hmm. that allows um, people to kind of begin to push themselves again. And I, I mean, I know nobody has that, right? Nobody has that to give someone else. Um, and I think that that can be really frustrating and disappointing just because we really begin to talk about this and understand why you're not feeling motivated and how it may actually make a lot of sense why you're not feeling motivated. It's not always clear what to do then. And I wonder then if you could kind of walk me through, you identify that maybe I'm not super motivated to reach that goal. You examine motivation. 
mm-hmm. and goal setting. Can you can you kind of talk me through? I know you've you've got some ingredients for motivation. Like, how do mm-hmm. we get motivated? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think it it starts with a conversation about strengths. What do you enjoy? What are you good at? And a, a lot of us were raised in families or in cultures where. Um, we learned not to recognize our own strengths or um, to be, for lack of a better word, inauthentic or untrue to ourselves. The starting place is a, a place of discussing strengths. What do you enjoy? If, if I had a magic wand that I could wave today and you could choose any career, what would you choose? And maybe that's the first time that student realizes I don't have to choose engineering. And that alone, that conversation alone can be really scary. So then once we arrive on what those strengths are, then we can start to have a conversation about building motivation. So I'm borrowing this from William Miller and Stephen Rolnick, who are the architects of motivational interviewing. They talk about the three ingredients of motivation. I'm using the word ingredients, but they talk about being ready, willing, and able. Readiness is about timing and willingness is about emotions. And ability is about resources. So when somebody is ready, that means that in terms of the the narrative of their life, the story of their life, it's the right time to move forward. And so that's one third of motivation. So if you're going through a major change in your life or you're experiencing some sort of crisis, that might not be the right time for you to have the motivation you need, need to move towards a goal. Willingness, as I said, is about emotions. So do you want this? And when we talk about examining goals and then examining motivation, a lot of times what we land on is that willingness component. Are you willing to pursue engineering? And sometimes that's the, it's the, that the answer is no. So you, you have to want it. And then what I also like to say is you have to want it. Is it society that wants whatever that is, whatever that goal is that you've set for yourself that isn't in line with your motivation? And then when we talk about being able, we're talking about resources and not necessarily concrete resources, but do you have people who support you? But it also includes concrete resources. Do you have the funding that you need? Do you have the skill set? Do you have the knowledge that you need? So those are the ingredients of motivation. And when all three of those things come together, that's when somebody, that's when change really happens. When somebody is motivated, that's when change really happens. And when we get frustrated with ourselves for not moving towards a goal or for not changing, then it's time to back up and look at motivation and look at those ingredients and make sure that they're all there. So I'm almost hearing that motivation, asking for to feel motivated is putting the cart before the horse. Like first we need to slow down, take a look at what our goal is, and then examine these three areas. You said readiness, which is about timing. Is this the right time in my life to be pursuing this? Willing, willingness, which uh, has to do with, I love the way you put that. I have to want it. I have to want it. And I have to want it. It's got to be coming from me, that desire. Um, and that that can so easily get confused with other socialization pressures and outside expectations. Yeah, uh, and then and then so let's say I'm ready and I'm willing. Am I able? So this is about just kind of 
what support that I have, um, what resources I have, but also kind of what are my knowledge, what's my knowledge level and what's my skill mm-hmm. level to mm-hmm. pursue it. I just wanted to kind of highlight that ability piece. Um, I don't know about you, but I was raised being told I could become anything that I mm-hmm. wanted to be. And I know that that can be like a common message that uh, people get from their parents that you, like, mm-hmm. you can be anything uh, you want. But I guess I just want to go on record and say I actually don't think personally that I can be anything I want. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have the mind to be like a nuclear physicist. Like mm-hmm. I just don't have it. Like I might have wanted it um, and I might have wanted it and mm-hmm. I might have like been like ready. Like at the time when I was choosing my my degree and stuff, like the timing might have been great, but mm-hmm. I... I My natural gifts and strengths Mm -hmm. lie more in the arts and the humanities and Mm -hmm. the relational field. Like, like I have trouble leaving a tip, you know, (laughs) Um, I'm really glad that they calculate it for me more and more. Um, And I have my doctorate, but like, that's not where I shine. And, And it's possible that like no amount of work I could have ever done would have translated to me becoming a nuclear physicist. It's been really liberating for me to um, accept that about myself. But I, I don't know. I wonder if that's a common barrier for people is that they, is that, you know, especially when we're told, I think that message of like aim high and reach for the stars. And um, if you work hard, you can be whatever you want. It has a lot of beauty in it, but it can also be when we do encounter our limitations and start to get into the nitty gritty of, you know, how often, how often readiness, willingness, and ability all coincide, right? Like there can be so many different places where one of those things breaks down. You know, what you're bringing up, I have a lot of personal examples that I could share as well. I hear a lot. We talked about fear earlier. I hear also shame and guilt come up a lot for folks who aren't achieving their goals, whatever those goals are. I want to make sure that um, I share a few things about shame and guilt, because if motivation is the fuel, shame and guilt are kind of the, the brakes. As we examine where our goals came from, and maybe we find out that the motivation motivation isn't there, then we start examining our motivation and that can be a place where there a lot of emotions come up where we might find um, as you shared I I just don't have the inborn uh, you know predisposition to become a nuclear physicist and there might be feelings of failure in that maybe both your parents are nuclear physicists and you uh, you're expected to be one too so there can be shame and guilt in that for example it's important to really be mindful when those feelings come up because that internal narrative that's really critical, as they say in the mental health field, shooting on yourself. Um, Be mindful when you hear those things in your head. Um, I should, I'm supposed to, I have to. Those are the enemies of motivation. Um, Those are the enemies of of moving toward toward your goal. Um, And so practicing compassion, self-compassion, practicing flexibility are really important to moving forward with your motivation. I think it's important for mental health clinicians 
to say out loud to the public that we're humans too. And so as I'm talking about this, I, I wanna share that I'm going through my head and I share this often with my students, you know, examples from my, from my personal life um, when appropriate. I go through this process every day of self-criticism, of searching motivation for, for motivation, realizing that a goal that I have for myself isn't really what I want, it's what I think I'm supposed to want. A story that I share with some of my students from my freshman year, so I graduated with my bachelor's from UF, go Gators. My very first semester, I, I always knew I wanted to go into the mental health field. I went into UF um, majoring in psychology and I wanted to become a psychiatrist. So I started off on a pre-med track. In my very first semester at UF, I took my very first chemistry class and they could have been speaking Russian for all I knew. It was indecipherable. So I'm 18 years old and I have no idea what I'm doing. This is not like the high school chemistry class that I took. And that was a moment kind of like what you described, Sarah, where I just realized I have to find something different for myself because the goal of being a psychiatrist, I don't have the abilities. I just don't have that ability to think in the way that, I mean, can you imagine the next steps of organic chemistry? And, um, and I'm so grateful that I recognized that early on because I ended up a clinical social worker, which is so much more in line with just my personality and what my strengths are and what I like to do. And if I had forced myself down a pre-med track, I would have been sinking a lot of time and energy into something that ultimately was not meant for me. And I'm hearing you say that there can be a lot of um, guilt and shame that, and fear that comes up in, in that process of reevaluating. It's okay that shame and guilt come up. And, you know, as even if all the ingredients for motivation are there, there are still going to be times that we fall short of our goals. It's part of the change process. Something that I often uh, talk about is that the change process is not linear. We think it is. We think that it should be from point A to point B, that when we decide we want something from that point, point A, to achieving it is one line. And it's actually more like, it's circuitous. It's all over the place. Um, it goes back and forth, we regress, and then we move forward again. Sometimes our motivation increases, sometimes it just decreases. That doesn't mean that change isn't happening. And so again, it's really important to be gentle with ourselves, to recognize that we don't have to abandon what we're working on because we didn't make the progress that we expected. It's important to be gentle with ourselves because part of the change process is taking a break from changing and sometimes regression happens. It's especially important during this time when we're all at home, there seems to be this pressure to be productive. And I'm, uh, I'm a mom, I have a, a little person at home. Um, and I notice this in, in my life. I think I have this narrative in my head of I'm, I'm not commuting. I'm not taking my child to school in the morning. I have all of these extra hours. I ought to be more productive and ought to be is another way of shooting on ourselves. 
I have to catch myself in that narrative that takes me to a place of shame and guilt for not being more productive and recognize, kind of examine my goals. Um, and what I find is that those goals are imposed on me by society in whatever forms, whether it's other moms or family members or colleagues who are maybe producing more, uh, you know, professionally. When I catch myself in that place of shame and guilt, I have to remember two things. One is to examine my motivation. So do my goals, are my goals in line with my motivation? And then also just because I'm not producing, just because I'm not progressing, doesn't mean that those goals aren't right for me. It's just part of the change process. A, a, a kind of silly anecdote I share with my students a lot is that I really despise emptying the dishwasher. I just hate it. I don't know why we all seem to have a household chore that we that we loathe. And I'll sit there, I'll literally sit in a chair in my house where I can look into the kitchen and I have a staring contest with my dishwasher. <laughs> It, it, it never unloads itself. Um, and I, I'll get stuck in a place of shame about not emptying the dishwasher that paradoxically works against me. Because as I said earlier, shame and guilt are the enemies of motivation. So if I recognize it's okay to not empty the dishwasher, it's, there's no dishwasher emergency. Um, when I give myself permission to not empty the dishwasher, paradoxically, it becomes not a big deal. And the next time I'm in the kitchen, I just naturally start emptying the dishwasher. So it's just important to be mindful of those things. I think that uh, there's a couple of things you said that I want to unpack a little bit more. One is that guilt and shame become a barrier to motivation. And what that makes me think of is, so let's use your dishwasher example. If you don't want to empty your dishes, guilt and shame come in and tell you in a voice in your head, what do they tell you? They tell you so, what about yourself? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. So this is part of why it's so useful to have another person to talk to about these things. Somebody like a mental health clinician, because even, you know, you and I, Sarah, are both mental health clinicians. And you're asking me this question that I'm not even sure I've unpacked myself. So uh, the messages going on in my head are probably, let's see, I'm a, I'm a bad housekeeper. I'm a bad mom. Um, I'm lazy, which is a whole other. I tell my students, laziness doesn't exist. Um, there are reasons. We all have good reasons for not moving forward with goals. As I said earlier, these are things that all of us struggle with all the time. So these are some of, that's some of the narrative that's going on in my head that keeps me stuck in a place of shame and guilt. Yeah, and I appreciate you sharing that because guilt and shame make it even harder for you to empty the damn dishwasher is because, <laughs> because you've also then got this voice telling you that you suck, you're lazy, you're no good at this, you're a bad mom, you're a bad housekeeper, and it's really hard to uh, take action to do something that's already kind of hard for you, right? It's, mm -hmm. it, it's that much harder to go ahead and take action or feel like taking action mm -hmm. when you've got that kind of inner criticism going mm -hmm. on. Um, it, it, it tends to like lower our, lower our self-esteem, our compassion for ourselves. Like compassion in this case might sound like, yes, I know I hate unloading the dishwasher. I hate it every single time. And you know, I'm going to do a hard thing, even though it's a small thing, I'm going to do a hard thing and I'm going to feel 
good about the fact that I'm doing a hard thing. Yes. You know, something that I, I share a lot with my students and that I, I'm always striving to practice myself is remembering that I am not the things that I produce. I am not my tasks. So somehow when it comes to the dishwasher, my identity as a mother becomes wrapped up in whether or not I'm emptying the dishwasher. And it's important. That's part of where that shame and guilt comes from is, whoa, when did emptying the dishwasher suddenly become this spiral into I'm a bad mother? I can be a great mother who also does not empty the dishwasher. I And I, I love that because, because that reaching that place, this is what, this is the paradox that you're talking about is reaching that place makes emptying the dishwasher less of a big deal, right? It's Mm -hmm. not, it's no longer that loaded anymore. So just go ahead and empty it already. Right. Right. Yeah. It's just so funny how that works. And I wish, again, I wish I had some sort of formula or algorithm that could explain that, but it's Carl, Carl Rogers, who has a quote that is escaping me right now, but basically it's, Uh, When we accept ourselves as we are, then we have the capacity for change. We're more likely to change when we accept ourselves where we are. And so accepting that I'm a good mom who's struggling with emptying the dishwasher is giving myself permission uh, to just lift that pressure. I do think that there are some things in life, and the dishwasher is such a great example, that probably need to get done. Uh, mm-hmm. in order for our lives to run relatively smoothly. Mm-hmm. And I think that, so I'm turning 40 in a few months, and I think that that has been um, really like the course of the last 20 years of my life. I've been working on learning that lesson. Like what mm-hmm. are the things that I need to do mm-hmm. regardless of whether or not I feel like doing them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And That's, so I, I, I hear you wanting to respond, but I guess, I guess sometimes I wonder when, when I'm trying to help people sort out kind of where motivation fits into their journey and how to get a sense of motivation to come back, I also want to acknowledge that there are a lot of things I have to do in my life that I just don't really have a lot of energy around and I've learn to do them anyway, like brushing my teeth being like a really great example. Like I hate brushing my teeth. And I guess theoretically, I don't have to brush my teeth, right? But I can, I have also learned learned to brush my teeth without feeling particularly energized mm-hmm. about it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know, I'm curious kind of how you respond to that. Like what are the things we really need to have that energizing drive around and mm-hmm. what are the things like, you know, part of adulting, I guess we could say, mm-hmm. that are like, you know, maybe like we're going to let you in on a big secret is like adults don't feel like doing half of this stuff either <laughs> that keeps our lives going. I argue and, it's more than half. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Okay. Right, right. So we're, I think as a, as a college student, especially like trying to figure out, yeah, this stuff around like feeling like doing it and being capable and having the right resources and the timing and all that is great. I don't know. And there's this other set of stuff that we may be learning how to do or encouraging people to learn how to do, even if they don't feel like doing it. Yeah. So we get these conflicting messages about, on one hand, we should pursue our passions and um, you know, as we were discussing earlier, make sure that our goals are in line with our motivation 
And there are just some tedious things that we have to do. And, and I mean that in the literal sense of the word, not in a way of we should do, but we literally have to do. I have to pay my electric bill or I don't have electricity. Um, so where do we muster the motivation to do these tedious things um, that are just part of getting ourselves through adulthood or getting ourselves through the day? Something that, that I practice personally and something I've shared with my students is we can still use that strategy of backing up and examining our motivation. So do I want to empty the dishwasher? No, but wanting to do it is only the willingness part of motivation. We can still look at readiness and ability. Am I ready to do it? Yes, the timing is perfect. My, you know, my child just went to bed. I finished all my other chores. I've saved this for last because I've been procrastinating. So readiness is there. Do I have the ability to do it? Yes, I, I didn't break all of my limbs. I can still empty the dishwasher. So then I can, I can examine willingness. And do I want to do it? Is it my heart's desire to empty the dishwasher? No. Um, but what I do want is the peace that comes with having a tidy kitchen. What I do want is my, my son to wake up in the morning and, um, you know, to a house that's organized and to a mom that's not irritable because she's been procrastinating on household chores. So some reframe, what we call in mental health, reframing. When I examine those components of motivation, no, emptying the dishwasher is not is not what I wanna do every day, all day. And there are components of that task that I am, that I do want and that are important to me. And I do have motivation to work towards them. Thank you for clarifying that because I think that's a more realistic um, way of, of looking at things that are small and tedious. And also maybe even like, you know, from my, from the beginning of my bachelor's degree and then I got two masters and a PhD, that was a very, very, very long and not, not exactly linear journey either. Mm -hmm. um, and that there were times in that journey where I lost motivation along the mm -hmm. way and struggled and wondered like, oh, like I do actually want the goal. Like I wanted where I would wind up and I wanted to, I loved the work. I knew it was right for me. It mm -hmm. aligned with what I wanted, but I just didn't have that uh, temporarily didn't have that drive to, mm -hmm. uh, to move forward. And even when kind of a lot of those aspects align, we can still have periods where um, the tank's running on empty or mm -hmm. where, um, and at those times we either need to take a break and rest and kind mm -hmm. of wait to refuel um, and another thing that I used during that many long years, so I did take some breaks. I took some years off. I did some things totally different and came back to it when I was ready. But the mm -hmm. second thing I did was I just really tried to keep my mind on the outcome that I wanted and, mm -hmm. and kind of coach myself through by telling myself, maybe I don't have to feel like doing this right now, but it could still be worth doing. Mm -hmm. It's It's still worth doing because of where it's going to take me and it's going to take me to a place where I don't have to do as much stuff that I don't want to do. Like mm -hmm. if once I get there, I will have more freedom. I will have more choice about um, how I'm allocating my, my limited resources. 
So I wonder if that would be a good place to shift and talk a little bit about goal setting, how to do it. So let's say we've, we've decided we know a goal, big or small, that, uh, that you, know, you want to go for. Where, where would you recommend someone start after they've looked at these elements of motivation, readiness, mm-hmm. willingness, and ability? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, um, especially in the corporate world, a lot of, as I said, you can Google goal setting and get m- more advice than anyone ever needs about goal setting. And everybody has a different strategy and there's personal coaches and things like that. Um, one that's used a lot is the SMART acronym, um, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and timely. So I don't have a lot of enthusiasm for this idea because it's so um, formulaic and it's so concrete and it just is devoid of all of that reflection that I think is an important part of moving towards goals. Um, So when you make sure that your motivation is in line with your goals then goal setting becomes easier and I don't know that I'm not super confident you need these kinds of mnemonics, um, but some things, some strategies that I found useful for myself and for my students is starting with the easiest task or starting with the most enjoyable task. You know, if I have a list of five household chores, emptying the dishwasher is going to be at the very bottom. So I'll do the things that I like to do first. I'll, I like folding laundry. So, you know, if my job today is to get the house tidied, then that's what I'll do. Another strategy when I'm working towards any goal is to break that goal down into what I call micro tasks. So when we break something down into micro tasks, for me, even making a list, I consider its own task. And so when I've made that list, I get to take a break because I've achieved something already. I've started one step on my journey. Sometimes I'll even go back with my list and write down things that I've already done just to check them off because it sounds silly on its surface, but what's really happening is I'm I'm generating self-esteem. I'm generating that sense of accomplishment and achievement. I'm recognizing the work that I've already done. And that's such an important part of moving forward is making sure that you don't discount the work that you've already done. Another couple strategies that I use are um, pairing pleasant tasks or something that I like with unpleasant tasks. So um, I'm a big fan of certain podcasts. So listening to a podcast while I empty the dishwasher is, it's almost like a treat. So I get to listen to this podcast as long as I empty the dishwasher. And there's just these little things that we learn that it might not be universal. These are things that work for me. They might not work for someone else. And you might find that there are certain things that work for you. Um, making sure that you're willing to throw out these, these quote unquote rules as needed for yourself as an individual. So if the SMART acronym doesn't work for you, that's okay. If the suggestions I gave today in this podcast don't work for you, that's okay. It's part of that flexibility that is so important, that self-compassion that is so important to move forward toward goals. I appreciate that. I wonder as we um, get to a point where we're going to close the conversation, what is it, if you could go back in time, Judah, and when you were a college student um, at the University of Florida and say a few things to yourself about motivation at that time in your life. Wow. I have so many things to say to 18-year-old Judah, uh, but about motivation, 
I think the number one thing that I would say to that young version of myself is, first of all, I'd have to explain what self-compassion is. I'd have to explain what it means to be gentle with oneself. And because I don't think she understood that. I, I think, especially in our culture, we have this pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. Um, you know, our work ethic is very, um, it's brutal. And so I had a very critical internal narrative, this kind of like, what's wrong with you? Get yourself out of bed. You know, you've had, you're squandering the this great opportunity of being admitted to UF. She didn't know what self-compassion looked like. She didn't know how to be gentle with herself. And so that's the number one thing that I would share with her is it's okay if you don't want to do this. It's okay if you don't do this right now. What works for you? What replenishes you? Taking a walk is something that, you know, if I had a paper due, it would never occur to me to take a break and go do something that I enjoyed because I had this mentality of, well, I haven't earned it or I don't deserve it. So that's what I would share with young Judah. And something I try to emphasize with my students is the importance of being kind to yourself. It's okay if your self-compassion waxes and wanes. And the most efficient route from point A to point B is to consistently be mindful of that internal critic and bring your awareness to an intention to practicing compassion for yourself. Thank you. And I, I would just add, um, yeah, I needed those messages a lot too. I still need them. I still need those reminders today. So I appreciate you giving me the reminder in this moment. I think that what I would have loved to tell myself back then too, is to emphasize the efficiency part, even though it felt really scary to stop working on the paper and go take a walk that mm -hmm. actually the odds were that when I returned to my paper, I would probably mm -hmm. do a better job of it. I would probably actually be willing to work on it yeah. again. And not, not always, like sometimes the break in a couple of cases, like I took a full year off of school. Mm -hmm. um, I even dropped out of my PhD program and said, I'm never going back. And then a year later, I, I did go back and I finished up. Um, yeah. But so the break may be long. It may turn into a, a true like lifestyle change, mm -hmm. but it might just be a pause where, where that time to just like be with myself and connect with myself and care about myself and help me re refuel the tank enough to continue on with that overwhelming task. Yeah, I think something that we, I need to bring my awareness to over and over, and I really like how transparent you and I are, both are during today's conversation and our, our own ongoing struggles with motivation um, and being kind to ourselves and struggling with shame and guilt around achievement. What, what we're talking about, I think, is that ingredient of ability, and we tend not to give it it's weight when we, it's not tangible. So when we think of something like our energy, if we're emotionally or, or cognitively fatigued, we're lacking that one ingredient. We don't have the ability. So it's okay along our journey towards a goal if our motivation waxes and wanes as those ingredients maybe wax and wane. As you're moving towards a goal, if you have another crisis happening in your life, then the readiness isn't there. The timing is off. So it's it's okay as you as you move forward towards a goal to um, to just know that 
regression is natural a natural part of the change process and going slow slowly or accelerating all of those things are are natural parts of the change process thank you so much for joining today and for having this conversation with me i i really appreciate you and um and your openness in in sharing judah thank you You've been listening to CWC Talks, a podcast from the University of Florida Counseling and Wellness Center. For new episodes, show notes, and to leave feedback or suggestions, please visit counseling.ufl.edu slash CWC Talks.